geology, geology, geology. Welcome everybody to another mini geology show. As you see, uh, we are uh, more than radio now with this uh, COVID situation. Excuse my hair and there's almost uh, four to five months I don't go <laughs> to have a haircut, but that's the situation. Uh, this is Daniel Minizini, your inquisitive geologist, and uh, today we are going to talk about LGTBQ plus in uh, our geological community. Uh, members of the LGTBQ plus community are de facto invisible. They, they are not known and their stories are not usually heard. And for a large part of the world, many of the LGBTQ colleagues are still not recognized as humans who deserve similar rights and freedoms. That is not the case uh, where we are here in the United States, but in many parts of the world, this is true. Today, I have the great pleasure to have a very special guest. Jaya Siviski is an expert on land-ocean interactions and earth surface dynamic uh, former director of the Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research, this is at the University of Colorado Boulder, executive director of the Community Surface Dynamics Modeling System, and also chair of the International Geosphere Biosphere Program. Uh, Jaya is a gender non-conforming, a person who does not subscribe to conventional gender distinctions, and terms that also resonate uh, with her are androgynous, uh, genderqueer, non-binary, uh, shaman, two-spirited, and uh, third-gendered. So welcome to the show, to Mini Geology Show, Jaya. Uh, let's start for, from these basics. What is the difference between uh, sexual orientation and gender identity? Oh, that's a really good one. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, sexual orientation is uh, your physical or emotional response, uh, and it's based on sex and gender. So it's, it's what you're attracted to. That's your orientation. It's different from biological sex. And biological sex is, you know, your organs, your hormones, your chromosomes. And... Uh, your biological sex, you would define yourself as either being female or male or intersex. Uh, in your sexual orientation, you know, you would have uh, heterosexual, you would have asexual, you'd have bisexual, you'd have homosexual, you'd have uh, pansexual. I mean, there is a much larger um, uh, array than just one or two things under sexual orientation. So that's what those two parts are. And everyone has a sexual orientation, even if it's not interested in any sex, <laughs> or, and you have a biological sex, you know, male, female, or intersex. So those, everyone should know what those two are. And gender is different from sex. So your gender identity, it's, it's how your brain interprets its own chemistry. It, it, so your brain will tell you whether you're a woman or you're a man or you're something else, non-conforming. So your brain will let you know that. 
And the only person who really knows that is you, the individual. You know whether you're male, you're female, or you're non-conforming. Uh, gender expression is how you express that. And this is what you would see of me, or I would see of you. So you look like a man. I mean, you, that's your choice in expression. You could be a man who expresses themselves as a woman. I mean, that's your choice. But right now, I would assume your gender expression lines up with your gender identity. And for most people, they try to um, express themselves in ways that does line up with their identity. But there's a fair number of people who are too scared to do that. They, um, they choose not to reveal themselves. And that means that they have an identity that hasn't changed. It's really, they can't change it. It's their brain chemistry uh, and their interpretation of their brain chemistry. But they can choose how to express it. And I think a whole person, and this is uh, for everyone to know, a whole person is someone who knows their identity and can express it. What is uh, a queer? Okay, <laughs> that's a good word. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, so queer used to be a slur. It was uh, used to denigrate and people would um, use that if they didn't like somebody, they may say it. Even if they weren't queer, they may say they were queer just to hurt them. Um, and they often said it to people who were queer, who are members of the pride community. Um, so most of the LGBT community took that term back, that they took that term that was, uh, that would denigrate themselves uh, and, and owned it and said, no, 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 we are queer, we're different uh, and we own it. And so there's a political connotation. And so anyone in the community who identifies themselves as queer tends to have a political um, uh, side to their own identity. Uh, I choose, uh, sometimes I'll say that I'm genderqueer. And that's because I want to remind people that yes, it used to be a term that was used to denigrate how awful that was. How, but now I'm owning it. You can't use that to denigrate. So to the pride community, queer is a little like nigger is to the black community. They can use it, but others shouldn't. And we can use queer, but others shouldn't. Good to know. In a, in a way, in a, uh, uh, an analog to art, it, it reminds me a little bit about the impressionists. That yes. They were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, very similar. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable talking with us about your infancy? Oh, sure. So thank you. Um, so, you know, before I, my puberty was around 15. So before that uh, period, uh, you know, I, I was I had, uh, was born uh, with problems and those problems relate to prenatal problems. My mother um, 
had hormone problems and vitamin D problems. And that affects a child while they're still inside their mother. And I think uh, that affected me a little. And so I was born with rickets and I was born with uh, spina bifida. And these relate to hormone and vitamin D deficiencies. And uh, they create a lot of problems down the line that I've had to live with since then. Um, but besides those uh, initial conditions, my childhood was one facing a lot of uh, problems. I was considered a miracle child, uh, a miracle child because no one thought I would be born. Uh, my mother was, I think, 39 at the time, so a, a late pregnancy. Uh, and one that was very difficult for her. And I then went on to have a whole bunch of problems like polio, you know, measles, mumps, uh, uh, just many, many uh, flu that would send me to the hospital. I was blind a couple of times uh, for one or two months at a time. Uh, so these problems were I guess to such an extent that any of my, you know, how was I feeling in terms of my own gender identity? Um, that was all second level to surviving my youth. We were raised in a very Catholic family and uh, we didn't know much except we were aware that any, uh, sexual deviation was considered terrible, bad, a sin, you know, all these horrible things. Um, but pretty much that's all we knew. You could either be straight or you were a homosexual. I don't even think back then we used the word gay and lesbian. Uh, those weren't terms that were well used, but homo, homosexual, they were well used. So my parents, they, they, looked at me and saw my behavior and my physique and other things and they said well you know you're girly you know they thought maybe i was gay i'm not but they thought i was did you ever talk with your parents about these thoughts that they they had or that you think they had i did you know i i mean not my father he died uh, in 1991 so that's quite some time ago and I didn't really come out till about 2005. So that was long after he died. Uh, and for my mother, I did talk to her. She was quite old at the time, obviously. Um, 90, I think. And uh, when I talked to her, she, and I told her that, you know, I, I said to her, I really do think that uh, I should have been born a girl. And she said, well, what made you think that? And I said, well, first off, I suffered some sort of uh, allergic reaction. Not quite. It's not an allergic reaction. But my body um, rebelled against be, uh, having testosterone in it. I, I had what was called testosterone-led or, or um, enhanced uh, prostate cancer. And so I had a very uh, aggressive kind of cancer that was fed by testosterone. And, and I told her, I says, you know, I could die simply because I have testosterone in me. 
and and then she started telling me stories about well you know maybe we sort of suspected there may be problems you know did you know that your grandfather died from the same thing and you know your grandfather had the same kind of operations that you had removing all of your sexual organs and all of that did you know that i said no i didn't know that and she says well you knew about your dad and i said well what about dad and she said well you know he died of this kind of same kind of prostate cancer too and they didn't live that long after they had these same operations that i had um now i don't know exactly the details uh, my grandfather died before i was born and uh, I never got a chance to talk to my dad during this period. So, so that's, yeah, my mother did sort of tell me that she wasn't surprised about how I turned out eventually. Jaya, uh, when uh, did you decide to start the um, male to female transition? Well, uh, let's go back to it post-puberty. You know, one of the th reasons I can think back now and I can look at that and I can say, well, you know, I had some problems passing through puberty. Most boys and girls don't have dysphoria, a uh, sense of uh, weirdness about dealing with these hormones that are flooding their body. In my case, I did. Uh, and I had this kind of dysphoria but, you know, when the hormones finally kicked in, age 15, um, probably within a year or two, I had already left my home. I wasn't living at home anymore. Uh, and I was dealing with something I didn't understand, these hormones. So in, in dealing with uh, this period, uh, this period where... I don't know, um, that I had the male hormones in me, I would say I was as much a man as any man can be. You know, no different. I could father children. I didn't have an XXY or uh, chromosome makeup that would make me uh, true intersex. You know, I had these problems with hormones. My hormone levels was about five times less than a normal person a normal male, so much lower. Uh, but I fathered two kids. I, um, yeah, I was as much, I was normal as anyone. I had a baby face and I hid that baby face, that girly face under a beard. I could grow a beard. And uh, so that made me appear very masculine. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so when I was in my forties, I was dealing with my cancer. And so, um, it's very, I guess most people don't understand prostate cancer, but prostate cancer comes in sort of kind of two kinds, a very aggressive kind and one that isn't very aggressive. And the one that isn't very aggressive, you know, they're the cell doubling rates are about, are very slow, about every five years they will double where if you have aggressive cancer, they double every five months. So I had the aggressive kind, the kind that was fed by testosterone. So I was dealing with all this, I was reading about it, and uh, 
I wasn't thinking about gender, gender problems. I knew this may be the manifestation of gender and gender problems, but I wasn't concentrating that. I was concentrating on my father lived eight years after his operations. My grandfather lived six years. So I thought I had between six and eight years to live. I was faced with death. And so getting the operations, even with the operations, I thought I wasn't gonna live that long. Um, and so one of the thing, one of the treatments after these operations, after removing all of your organs, uh, one of the treatments is, you know, what they call hormone re replacement therapy, HRT. And you can't, if you're, um, if you have testosterone fed aggressive cancer, you can't have these operations, get rid of your organs and then start taking testosterone. Because if you have any of these cells have escaped after they took out all your organs and areas around your organs and things like that, if any have escaped into your blood and you then start taking back to testosterone, you could literally bring it on again. And when you bring it on, it'll be brought on in a way that you won't have that long to live. So I couldn't do that. And I, most people who get prostate cancer, especially the slow growing kind, they're quite old when they get it, you know, in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, where I was in my 40s. And uh, so I thought, well, there, what is, what are the problems of these old people dealing with prostate cancer after they've removed all their organs? And their problems are that they will die of uh, hip fractures because they need hormones to, uh, to build your bones and they don't have any, they lost their testosterone. So they tend to take, well, there's a group that don't take any hormones and they have this awful problems with hip fractures and death. And then there's another group that does take hormones and about half of them take a progesterone and another half takes uh, est estradiol, which is the female estrogen um, hormone. And I opted to take that, especially by then I knew I was probably, uh, that was something that would do well in my body or I suspected that. When I started taking uh, estrogen, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I mean, oh my God. I mean, within days, this dysphoria that I had from the operations and losing my testosterone, it was, it left me in a situation with this estrogen flooding my system. Like my brain finally lit up. It was just magical. And at the time, I was doing heavy meditation. So I was, you know, meditating every single day for quite some time. Uh, and, and I would be just watching how my brain was behaving during meditation, during a sitting meditation, my brain, you know, um, 
I'm breathing, uh, where is it going? My brain just felt so relaxed, so incredibly powerful and comfortable and in, in wanting to be where it is. And I suppose even feeling, I wish that I was this a little sooner than it was. <laughs> That's when the transition began. And so that was around 15 years ago, roughly, give or take a year. And um, if you're really young and you, and you go through what I go through, except without the cancer problems, your pathway is a little different than if you're older. If you're young, you haven't fully been changed in a hardened way, uh, you're, you still have some elasticity and flexibility in your structure, in your endocrinology. Uh, so for them, their feminization would take a year or two or three. It would happen rather quickly. But if you're older, like I was, I think at the time, my first operation when I was 50, 51 years old, it's a much slower process. And so I was expecting that by the year five, I would finish all of my transition changes. My blood chemistry would have changed, you know, um, things that related to, you know, how my body was uh, surviving. Um, let's see, my hair, uh, uh, my growth of my breast. So I figured a few years, it would be over. It's still going on. It's, I, this is 15 years later, the changes are still happening. And I suppose I can say, that's not unexpected for someone who goes through a transition when they're older. Jaya, you took a lot of very difficult decisions uh, in a very difficult situation. Uh, did you take them just by yourself or did you have somebody helping you during this difficult moment? Well, I was married um, and my partner had to, who <laughs> she likes to claim, she married James and now she's married to Jaya. <laughs> uh, and so for someone who's not the person going through it, it affects them every bit as much. I had two kids, it affected them. They found it very difficult to handle and I'm not in contact with them anymore. They just, you know, they wanted a dad. They don't have a dad. They're disappointed that I'm not their dad and they don't want to make do with me being a parent, just simply a parent. You know, not saying I'm their mother, but I'm not their dad anymore. That person is gone. And I think for anyone on the outside who's never had to deal with anything like this, what you may not know is you are not that person anymore. I've changed completely. My brain chemistry is just so different than it was. My blood chemistry is different. My hemoglobin count is different. My red blood cell, my white blood cell count, they're all different. Uh, my, the changes are tr 
traumatic and dramatic. And, and while I may like it all, that's a personal a point of view on my part, um, it's real change. And so your partner has to buy into it. And most people who go through a, a, a male to female or female to male transition, you know, transsexual, transgender, they, they, they have a real difficult time. And it's, it's like the statistics are just terrible. If they're married, they almost always end up in divorce. That was not my case. Uh, my fabulous partner, she's 100%, 150% behind me. So, I mean, that's really nice. Um, she happened to be asexual at the time, and I, so am I, so that worked out well. Uh, so there was no uh, sexual demand that she was going to miss or I was going to miss uh, in this going forward because I've changed my sex. Um, where that's also not the truth, particularly if you're young. If I was 20 years younger, I think that would have been different for her and for me. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Jaya, your decisions, again, uh, uh, were they taken uh, as a scientist? You are a scientist. You are a great scientist. Uh, and uh, I bet you investigated all the medical terms and conditions that you were going through. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, did you I'm... take your decisions <laughs> based on science or more emotional? No, so, no, no, no. No emotion at all. I mean, I, I own emotions, I understand emotion, and particularly now that I've changed, I'm much more empathetic than I used to be, and I much more have a higher emotional response. But that was neither here nor there. That's a result of what I did. Um, um, I'm with the university, University of Colorado. Uh, we get uh, access to all the journals like most people, professors at university. And so I got access to medical journals. I wasn't used to, I'm a geologist, oceanographer, so I wasn't used to reading medical articles. But when I was going through my cancer, I literally read all the, all the key articles, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens on prostate cancer, the kind that's aggressive, the kinds that are fed by hormones and how things respond. And I made my decisions based on the science. I made my decisions on how long I wanted to live. Are you proud of it? I'm still alive. <laughs> I think I made a good call. And there's a chance that I may, I could have been dead. I, I might have been dead already. So I think I did well. Jaya, in during those years, uh, when you were in the 40s and 50s, uh, the transition you said happened when you were 51, you are probably at the top of your scientific career. How did you handle this professional side of your multifaceted life? That's a good question. And 
If there are, you said that perhaps, you know, I might uh, help or inspire someone who's younger than me who may watch this and think about what I've got to say on the subject for themselves from their own point of view. Yeah, so first off, you're on this voyage all on your own. Um, I don't think I could be a great role model because my life and my position in that life is going to be very different from this other person's uh, situation. In my case, I did not want the decision to um, interfere with the leadership roles that I had. I didn't want me to become the topic. I wanted Instar to remain the focus of Instar and CSDMS to be the focus of the, the modeling uh, program or uh, the International Geosphere Biosphere program. I wanted that to be a focus of that. So by having it by by coming out in a way that um, would cause any ripple action in those communities, I didn't want that. So my choice was simple enough. I was going to go through this transition. People were going to see me. They're going to see that my hair grew. They may see that my beard is off, my, my skin is different, my skin is more translucent. They may notice that I don't have hair on my arms or my legs or my chest. They may notice that I have breasts. Uh, they, they, I don't know, they, they will look at me and they'll make any assumption they want, but I wasn't going to put the focus on me. And I wasn't gonna hide it either. You know, along the line, maybe two, three years uh, after the, my transition began, and like I said, it's ongoing, it, it may never end. Um, you know, people would come up after talks and they would say, oh, it's so nice to see someone of your uh, stature, you know, being so out there you know, so free about it. And I thought, free? I haven't said anything. <laughs> I'm just being me. And, but they thought I was, because, you know, I'm, you could be gay and no one will know you're gay unless you tell them. I mean, you will, a man looks like a man. You could be a lesbian woman and no one will know unless you tell them because you don't look different or, I mean, we have what's called gaydar, but uh, this is some ability to detect one another. Um, but besides that, there's no unnecessary outward expression, uh, typically. Uh, there is some, but not typically. Uh, but when you're transgender, either female to male or male to female, or gender non-conforming, or non-binary, queer, uh, gender queer. You express it. You may identify in your head, but you've decided, no, you're gonna not only identify in your head, you're going to show the world. So I was demonstrating it. 
I was, I changed my clothes, I changed other things. I would sometimes put uh, hair extensions that were a different color in my hair. And I never hit any of that. Um, but I wasn't out saying, oh, look at that, you know? Um, so, and oh, I changed my name, I changed my name legally. Um, that's a very expensive, long proposition. You know, for some states, it's extremely difficult. My state, it's pretty difficult. Um, not as bad as some. You're in Colorado. Yeah, $1,000 later, you have a new, and I just changed my first name. It still costs, you have to go to court, you have to go in front of a judge, you have to put articles in a newspaper announcing your name change, you have to do, I mean, it's just dealing with credit cards. I mean, it's a huge thing. But that's a name change. And so picking a name and then sticking with that name, I tried out a couple of names at the beginning because I wanted a different name. I, I didn't want James. I'm almost, I'm so non-male now that I, I don't want things that were associated with that person. You know, this James Savitsky, I like him a lot. No, I like him. I mean, he was a very interesting person, uh, a great person. Uh, I like him. I think that uh, his behavior, his actions, and what he was able to accomplish was good. I'm not that person. Um, so the things that James accomplished, uh, they are not the things that you accomplished scientifically in the... Well, I mean, I, scientific science is a little different in the sense that I wrote those papers and I can defend those papers. But those papers were written by somebody who had a lot of male energy. I don't have that male energy. Uh, I still write papers, but I don't have that same kind of energy that James would have brought to it. And maybe my papers now are better, I don't know, but they're different anyways. Uh, I think the male mind is having experienced both, I'm one of those very few people who had both minds in my head. You're, you're, you can be really single focused as a male, in a male brain, and you tend to be, uh, see the big picture in a, you know, in a female brain, and that's where I am these days, looking at the big picture, so I like it. Yeah, you're talking about the brain, so the brain, like, like many other parts of our body uh, could be male and female. And now you have this luxury to have experienced both uh, sides, the male brain and the female brain. In, in which sense, uh, being aware of this has helped your advance in your science. Uh, what, what did you accomplish uh, with the male brain and what you are going to accomplish, what you are accomplishing right now with the female brain? I don't know if I could um, expand on that. I, I do think that the success that I had at the beginning and as a male person, that was made more successful because we live in a male-oriented society. And in the geosciences, that's extremely male-oriented. 
You know, when I went to university, there wasn't a single female in the class, not one, zero, zip, year after year after year after year, <laughs> thinking, oh my God, there are no women around. So, I mean, it's from that basic level all the ways to, would they have chosen me to be director of Instar if I had been female? I don't know. It, we've got our first female director in 2020. So um, it, it's a shame, it's sad, but, uh, and so I don't know uh, uh, about any of the positions that I had. So it's one thing to talk about my brain and how I, I could see how I made decisions from a male brain or female brain, but my career, my success, that's maybe more external to me in a male-dominated society. And I'm so pleased that uh, we're putting that further and further behind because it's just nonsense. Do you know other uh, gender queers in the geological community? Yes, but I'm not going to out them. <laughs> you know, that's for them. Yeah, of course I do. I, I know actually quite a number. You know, there's about, uh, let's see, the transgender community, in the LGBTQ plus, QI plus community, there's around, I don't know, 15 million Americans uh, to 21 million Americans. That's sort of the range of how many pride community members there are in the US. And in the transgender community, you go from about 20 million down to about 2 million. So that's a small percentage of a small percentage. And if you get into the non-binary, those of us who aren't claiming to have reached femaleness, if you're going from male to female, or maleness going from female to male, that would be more transsexual, transgender. But those of us who just realize we're not male or female, we're something else. We may be some combination, we may be someplace on that uh, gradient, or there are many of us who think there's no such thing as a gradient, that we're off the gradient, we're a different gender. And there's, I think, what, what's the number? I think the number is uh, 0.6 million. So we've gone down from 20 million to 2 million to 0.6 million. I mean, there's not very many. And so, um, you know, for the people in this community, they face a lot of problems. And uh, I certainly would not want to put them in a position where they're made to feel even worse off than they already are. We live in a country now where we have a president and a political party, the GOP, who have targeted transgenders to discriminate against. They don't just discriminate it and then pretend they're not. I mean, they do that with all sorts of groups of people. But they actually say, no, 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 we are actively discriminating against transgenders. They, I mean, Trump 
recently announced that if you're a landlord, yeah, you can just um, kick somebody out uh, of their apartment because they're transgender. Uh, he said that. He passed a, he signed a law that said that, or a policy statement, whatever, that would allow um, folks to do that kind of discriminatory action. So right now, that's where we are. So this country is kind of interesting because in Iran, you know Iran, in Iran, it's legal to be transgender. It's illegal to be a homosexual, gay or lesbian, or bisexual. But it's legal to be transgender. So this is Iran. In our case, it's legal to be a member of the LGB community, but it's still illegal to be a transgender. This is our country. This is our community. And so, of course, I'm very protective of anyone in our community. They have enough problems. You know, I participate in a survey of uh, transsexuals about, I don't know, two, three years ago. So it was a recent survey and the results came back and 82% of the people who were in that community considered suicide, 82%. This is already a huge problem. Their families are abandoning them, their friends are abandoning them, their scientific colleagues are abandoning them, our government is abandoning them. And this is how they're feeling. And so, of course, uh, it, it hits anyone to the core and you don't want to out anyone and you don't want to um, do anything other than be in, if I don't mind being out. I mean, what are people going to do to me? I'm, I can't get any more famous in the geological community. So I've won all these awards. What are they going to do? So, and I'm retired. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a good person to actually take on all these awful um, ism haters. And yeah, I'll take them on. That's why I don't mind being called queer because I'm very political. And Jaya, what would you say to uh, those uh, transgenders or uh, genderqueer that they are listening in, uh, and they're not in your uh, uh, position? Well, your privileged position. If, if you're young, if you're young, the transition will be more complete than if you decide to hold off until you're older. In my case, I wasn't even holding off. It just happened because I had to deal with a life-death situation, cancer. But other, you can arrive at this situation through a thousand different avenues and pathways. Mine was a cancer pathway. Um, so I would say that if you're young, the younger you are to transition, if, you, if you've got this all clear in your head, you know how you identify, and you're working with professionals that are there to help you, therapists and, and others, then the sooner you do it, the better. Because 
you're facing this bad statistic that 82% have considered suicide. And by the way, 46% of this survey, they had attempted suicide in the last few years. So they failed, um, but they attempted it. So all in all, this is a terrible uh, situation to be in. It's not one that is, oh, I want to be transgender. You know, it's not like that at all. It's one where you're, this dephoria overwhelms you. You can't, you just can't handle it. And so you're making choices. And all I'm saying is that if, you, if you're sure and those experts around you are sure that this is, uh, you're definitely, uh, uh, your body's not um, reflecting your gender identity, the younger you are to make this transition, the better. Um, for those that are in their mid-career, you know, this is going to be a tough one because they could be in situations where companies don't support them. They could be in situations where promotions start disappearing because somebody up the line, they don't even know, maybe it's two, three levels up the line, uh, has a very rabid dislike for anything that has to do with the pride community. They don't knew that, know this individual, but just anyone is associated with this community. They just don't like it. And they'll do everything they can to tamp it down. And they will, they'll be wise enough so they won't tell anyone about it. I've been in management and in the highest levels of university office one can be. I know exactly how they operate. And so for the mid-level career people, this is one where they're going to have to figure out what they really, you know, what, what they can put up with and what they can cope. And they may, and they may lose their job. In addition, if they make this transition, given if we continue under Trump and that party, you could end up getting kicked out of your apartment. That's just one of the things you, that may happen to you. You may lose your job. You may lose this. You may lose that. You may find you're discriminated against any number of different ways. So mid-career, that's a difficult one. Someone who is older, well, hopefully they don't need any more career uh, promotions and they could be a role model. They should do it. And they may not find themselves as totally transitioned as they may have found if they had done this younger, true enough, but they arrived at a time in their life when they want to take advantage of it. There was a World War II uh, veteran from Britain that made the transition at uh, 95 years of age. <laughs> they didn't need to do it, did they? They just, it was time for them to do it. So these statistics, it may only be that we've got, you know, half a million uh, non-binary or two million transgenders, but there's probably a lot more but people just don't have the curiosity or the um, uh, strength or the society support to allow them to explore what gender is, what gender identity is, what gender expression is, how that differs from uh, sexual orientation and biological sex. 
those are all really big topics. If I was to give a test to most people, straight people, what we call cisgender people, they would fail the test. They know very little about gender. All they know is that they were born a man and they know how to act like a man because they see what they see on television and they see what their brothers and uncles and father and grandfather were like. And if you're a woman, you look at your role models and know all that. There are few role models for transgender, non-binary uh, people. Very few role models. And what's depicted on television is not much better. You know, there's a lot of drag queens, drag uh, kings on television that are, you know, people who cross-dress more for entertainment uh, purposes. And they're not quite the same thing as, uh, they may be part of the pride community, but they are not, they don't have the experience of this dysphoria. So they don't really know about the gender identity and gender expression. So it's slightly different world. And so, I don't know, I just feel, my heart bleeds for transgender people, genderqueer people, non-binary people, particularly those of color. They've, uh, if there was a bottom, to society, the dregs of the dregs as defined by uh, the white nationalists and supremacists who live in this normative world, then black transgender folks, either female to male or male to female, they're the, they've had it so bad, just so bad. It's, it's disgusting. What's your view on uh, how the geological community is behaving uh, with respect uh, to transgenders and uh, these topics that we're talking about? Well, when I was growing my hair out, my own faculty, they started to giggle and laugh. Not everyone, but enough for me to register it. And of course, when you're going through a transition, you're extremely sensitive. You've exposed yourself. You're completely exposed, you know? You know, look at me, you know, I'm changing. And you get laughter at a liberal university. And, and that's, I, you know, people have shouted things out while I walk down the street. I mean, it's just, not, it's not an easy life. I, I'm almost at a loss of words. Um, I think that straight people need to do what they just recently have done with Black Lives Matter. Hopefully if you were a normal caring human being, you would have taken the protest moment and you would have done some research. You would have maybe watched some documentaries. I am not your Negro is a good one, but you, you, you've educated yourself at sort of what, in this case, our country has done to discriminate and really hold back, you know, the black community and the brown community. And so this new education has resulted in these protest movements where now you having white members of society who 
who didn't even know that they were prejudiced start to recognize their own prejudice. And so I'm thinking that you need something to do something like that. You need to inform yourself. You know, listening to my little chit chat about it is uh, hopefully you it has expressed some things that people may find interesting and they're going to look it up. They're going to do some research. So that's one thing you can do. You just don't be so ignorant. And the second thing you can do besides not being ignorant is being curious. And you know, oh, cool. So really, you lost all your hair? How is that? <laughs> or you, you kept all your hair? How is that? Uh, you know, be curious, talk, ask questions. You're a very good example because you've chosen to interview me not for my science, but for, um, you know, this topic, because you know that I'm totally out there. And there aren't so many of us who are willing to be interviewed and be out there. Uh, so that's the second thing. The third thing that they can do is decide themselves what diversity truly is. And what is the meaning of diversity? I think that every company that has taken on diversity to improve their diversity from initially a male dominated to a, uh, from a white male dominated to a male dominated with black men. So now you've got, you still left out the women <laughs> to, to now straight female and female uh, of color to starting to open it up to those who are in the pride community. Just diversity has always enriched these companies. It has made them, um, it's brought more to the table. It's got them to be more productive. It's got them to be more human. It's built up employee loyalty. There's just so many reasons to do it. And I think that's the third reason is, is this diversity. It's, it's an enriching experience. I can only hope that, that it carries forward. And just like if you've heard in the Black Lives Matter movement about microaggression and things like that, where people aren't even really aware of their being stupid and hurtful and, and aggressive. Um, it's just ignorance. It's not like they're really mean, uh, racially prejudiced bigots. It's not that, it's just they grew up, they're normal people, they have it, we all have it. We all have it, I have it, everyone has it. And you want to make sure that these microaggressions give, don't explode into keeping people from being who they really are, their full, wholesome self. And so that if you see a, a, a colleague who's showing these tendencies, be brave. If it's your boss who's showing these tendencies, you have to be especially brave to say, you know, just be smart about how you do it. Say to your boss, you know, that I don't think that was the wisest thing to say. You know, you may have hurt that person. You know, I've made me feel uncomfortable. 
Uh, you may want to talk to them, but give them some courage to, uh, to change their behavior without belittling them. And, and so I think those three things, if you did those three things, I think, um, yeah, we'd be a better world than we are now. Yeah, I consider this uh, chat that we are having uh, an honor uh, and uh, I'm really proud um, to, to have you here to allow me to interview you. I, I learned so much. I, I investigated uh, some of the topics I didn't know, but there's still so many other things I have to learn. So th this has been a really special uh, moment uh, for me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jaya. If you want, the mic is yours uh, to express what you couldn't during this long hour interview. So. I'm going to read a quote out. And the quote is uh, by Samantha Allen from her book, Real Queer America. It, came, it was published in 2019. And so I was reading this book and I got this quote and, and it is the cisgender reporters, hopefully everyone now knows what cisgender is. That means you're normal male or female. <laughs> cisgender reporters are often so fascinated by the mere existence of transgender people that they treat us more like exotic zoo animals than human beings. And so, um, yeah, don't treat anyone else as if they're a, a zoo animal. Another quote, this came out from a, a paper in Nature, the journal Nature in 2018 in October. It says, uh, any attempt to classify people on the basis of their anatomy or their genetics should be abandoned. So this is the statement that you just can't pick anatomy or genetics and define a person. And this is in the most, uh, or one of the most recent articles in Nature. And I, I, I bring those two quotes up because I think that People should just let people be who they are. I mean, how am I, as a genderqueer, non-binary person, going to hurt you or anyone else? I just can't. I can't hurt them. And that leads me to a final thought. So in Buddhism, there's something called, uh, there's a, um, the, the, Buddhism deals with duality, the, uh, duality being like man, woman. And they deal with it by saying, this duality doesn't exist. There is no male, there is no female. I mean, it's a concept that their philosophy has to the very core that we shouldn't hang on to a lot of artificialities. So when my brain is changed, it is changed in a wonderful way, but defining it as male or female, you know, that's still at some level this binary world we live in. And I think I would advise that we want to move into a world there's a little bit more openness, a less binary. Let's get into the non-binary. So non-binary, that's me. 
<laughs> so that's it. So that's my final statement. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, May. Uh, again, uh, Jaya, it has been a pleasure. And, uh, and this was another episode of uh, Mini Geology Show. Okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, Jaya. <laughs>